Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for a revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. All right, so now everybody pull out your cell phone. Come on, I know you got them. Don't act like you don't have your phone, okay? We do not go anywhere without our phones. So everyone in here, if you have a smartphone, pull out your phone or you're in disobedience, okay? Just, just letting you know, okay? When we're in church and it's not the number one place in the world you should disobey. Okay, so now we're in a series called For the Love of God. What I want you to do is take a selfie right now. Take a selfie. Everybody, lottie dottie, okay? So we're in this message series called For the Love of God. And we've went through all these different things that God loves and Jesus loves, right? So we know that God loves a cheerful giver, right? We know that God loves, oh, come on, help me. Last week was children, right? Come on. Children. What's the other one? Come on, there's one more. He loves a cheerful giver. He loves children. Because I got the last one. You got to give me the third one. What is it? Nobody knows. Okay. Well, God loves the world. All right. So check it out. The big thing is, the big news, we're going to be in Luke 15, okay? Luke 15, if you've never read it with these eyes today, I'm going to pray that you read it with eyes to hear. Listen, I want you to read it with eyes to hear, and I want you to see it, okay? I want you to see it with your eyes that can hear, and I want you to hear it with your ears that can see. In other words, you're going to see what I said, okay? You're going to see what I said, okay? And then I'm going to say what you're going to see manifest in your life. Feel it. Feel it. Okay? Because I'm about to give this to you in a way that you've never heard it before. We're going to be going 100 miles an hour in one direction. And when you slam into that wall at the end, don't get mad at me because I've already warned you. Okay? So, Luke 15 and 1. We're going to jump right into this, okay? This is Jesus. He's hanging out with some folks. And the Pharisees showed up. Now, as a, a Reformed Pharisee myself, I can talk smack about Pharisees because I've been a Pharisee. I used to study Scripture so I could cut people down with it, okay? You need to feel what I'm saying here because it's going to get on you later. Okay, so catch this. I studied scripture so I could point out other people's wrongs. Because I was tired of not having something I could come back to people and say, no, no, you can't talk that to me. I'm better than you. I'm I'm one of these guys, okay, and I, I, I grew up in the South, and I grew up on the three R's, okay? Racing, wrestling, and everything redneck, okay? And one of my favorite wrestlers is a heel. That means he's a bad guy. And his name is MJF. And he has a line and he says, I'm better than you and you know it. He's a bad guy, so he's supposed to be that way. Well, whenever I studied scripture, that's the way it made me feel. Okay? So don't look at these Pharisees and start throwing your stones too soon, okay? Because everybody's had a little taste of Pharisaical nature in their lives. All right? So Luke 15, 1 and 2. The tax collectors and other notorious sinners say other notorious sinners. 
often came to listen to Jesus teach. Now, why would sinners be coming to listen to Jesus teach? I mean, sinners are supposed to not want to be around the Word of God. They're not want to, supposed to hear truth. They're supposed to reject this, right? No. Jesus said people who are sick need to be in the hospital. So if I'm sick, I want to go to the doctor or the hospital to get well. So people who are, who are these notorious sinners, they're hanging out with Jesus. They're attracted to his light. They're attracted to his love. They're attracted to his life. There's something about him that's different than everything they've ever heard, ever. What are people getting from you? Sorry, gravy here. What are they getting from you that's different than what they've heard their entire lives? Quit telling people how they're wrong and tell them how they're right with him. How they can be made right with him. And that's what I'm going to tell you today. Is how we can be made right with him. So these notorious sinners came and listened to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers, teachers of the religious law out of their minds. Oh, I'm sorry, complain. That he was associating with such sinful people even eating with them. <gasps> Egads. What if there were pork chops on the table? The rabbi wouldn't know what to do. Really? Let's go through this. Jesus loves sinners. Take a picture of it. Post it on Facebook. Put it everywhere you need to. He loves sinners. I'm going to break this down for you, okay? Because we like to do word studies, okay? Jesus, Lord of all creation, the word that was there in the beginning, the one who was and is and is to come, the one who's coming back on a coming down with King of Kings and Lord of Lords on his, on his legs, man. The one that's coming back victorious, the one that came as a baby, left as a broken man, but coming back as a victorious king. That Jesus. Oh, come on now. Look, look this is a Pentecostal church. Get, act like we got some spirit in here. Okay, I need you to get with me. This is participatory. Okay, Jesus yeah. loves. First John 4, 7 and 8, God is love. So Jesus, Jesus. Because it's not what he does, it's who he is. Come on, pick that up and feel it. Love's not what I do, it's who I am. I'm in his image. Come on, pick that up and feel it. Catch it. So Jesus, Jesus, sinners. Sounds like a Kanye song. Jesus, Jesus, sinners, closed on Sunday. All right, listen. Jesus loves sinners. Now, does that say tolerates? Does it say um, merges into? Does it say placates? just says he loves now I want to talk a little bit about a song that we sing in church that if I change a couple of words I could have wrote for my wife I mean for real see y'all don't understand what a love song is evidently because you sing these songs all the time in church and you don't understand how passionate they are so I'm going to change a couple of words to see if you pick it up okay hey girl I'm jealous for you and my love for you, it's overwhelming like a storm. And it's going to blow through here and it's going to bend you over and all it break you underneath the weight of its love and the mercy and the attention and the affection I give you. Oh, how I love you. Now, you see, that puts a different spin on that song, right? 
He is jealous for me. Floats like a butterfly and stings like a bee. But it changes the perspective of that song. Do you feel what I'm saying? Like, stop saying words that Hillsong and Bethel and Elevation Worship spit out just because you think they're good and the theology's bad and you don't ever catch it. Like, put this in your spirit and understand what you're singing before you say it and then personalize it and make it real to you. I mean, he is jealous for me. Man, his love is like a hurricane and I am a tree. Bending beneath the weight of his winds, of his grace and his love and his mercy. And all of a sudden, think about this. This is what you got to catch before I jump in. All of a sudden, I'm unaware. See, we say these words, but we don't understand. What he's saying there in that moment of these afflictions eclipsed by glory. In other words, what it says is, I don't care about what's going on here because I'm in the middle of your love. I'm in the middle of your love. All of a sudden, I'm unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory. And I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. Come on now, feel that. I mean, if you ever see me rocking back there, that's because I'm feeling something. I'm in it. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Let's jump into this. So what is a sin or sinners? Hmm. Dana Carvey would have told you one thing in the 80s whenever he went, mm, sinner, church lady. Us old folks got that reference. <laughs> Teenagers like, what? YouTube it. Um, so what is a sin? A sin or a sinner specifically is a person who commits an immoral act considered to be a transgression of divine law. So a sin is somebody who, divide, who breaks, a sinner is somebody who breaks divine law. Okay? Simple. But to a Pharisee, it was anybody who wasn't them. Church lady. Right? From Saturday Night Live, not sitting in here. Anybody who wasn't them was a sinner. That's the reason why whenever Jesus sat down with people they didn't know, who didn't go to their temple, who didn't, sit, didn't say what they say, who didn't believe what their denomination believed, oh, sorry, uh, didn't, did, they were sinners. They were wrong. Had to be, right? Had to be. They had to be wrong. So to the Pharisees, a sinner was anybody who wasn't them. So let me drop some truth on you, okay? So there's a belief in the Jewish culture, and it's called Hazer Hara, okay? For those people who need to fact check me. It's uh, H-E-Z-E-R, uh, Y-E-Z-E-R-H-A-R-A, Hazer Hara, okay? And what, it, what they believe is basically that every person is just inclined toward evil. There's another belief that's called um, Hazer Matov, M-O-T-O-V, M-A-T-O-V, which means the inclination toward the good. So basically what it is, is it's their take on the yin and the yang, the good and the bad, the balance, right? But here's something I, th- I thought was so um, interesting. Okay, so for those of you who don't know this, I'm going to give you a little history lesson. So th- there's a cleansing that we as Christians do, and it's called the baptism, okay? And it's where we go down into the water, we come up out of the water, and it's a public declaration of Jesus coming and washing our sins and the old man dying and then uh, we being new in resurrection with him, right? In a nutshell. Well, there's another ceremony that Jesus showed us a better way on. It's called a mikvah. And so what the belief is is that sin 
is the opposite of the ceremonial cleansing of mikvah. That, that you do sin and then you mikvah. And then you do sin and you mikvah. In other words, that, that it's this process. It's just like this acceptance of it. That it's just the way it is. And I would tell you that it's not. I would tell you that you don't have to choose to have sin in your life. You don't, have to choo- you don't choose to have disobedience in life. You don't have to choose those things. It, you can make conscious choices, but there are times whenever sin sneaks up on you and you don't realize you're in the middle of it, okay? And we're going to talk about that today. So the other thing is, is the Hebrew word for sin that you find in Genesis is het, H-E-T. Now what this means is, is to literally go astray like an arrow that misses the target. So the belief is, is that even though I got it right one day and hit bullseye, unless I practice what I preach, I won't hit center mark every time. That's the reason why you can come into sweat tire sometimes and I'll be having a great day. And some days I need to see some more Jesus. Because I missed the mark that day. Because the wind was blowing or the sun was in my eyes or whatever the reason why, but I didn't hit bullseye that day. You feel what I'm saying? So stop beating yourself up so much about things that honestly are human nature that you can train yourself to not have to do as much. Like if I practiced every day shooting 10,000 times at a target, I'd either get tired or good. And probably a little bit of both. So let's, let's talk about sin. Okay, who are sinners? And why is there sin? Well, if you want to fact check anything in Scripture for me, all of my references will come between Genesis and Revelation. I promise you today there will be nothing in Leviticus, okay? So Genesis chapter 2, chapter 3. And the serpent was more cunning than all the other creatures. Y'all know this story? Well, in chapter 2, Yahweh, God, is having a conversation with Adam, the first son of earth. You need to feel these words that I'm saying, okay? Adam means of the earth. Names have meanings in Scripture. Don't pass over a name without reading what it means, because I promise you, once you read it, it brings context to Scripture. Oh, my gosh, what an amazing concept. Context to Scripture. Scripture in context. (gasps) Might change the church. If every church did it the way this church did. Preach in context. Speak in context. So here's Adam having this conversation with Yahweh God. And he's having this conversation and Yahweh God says, You can eat of every tree except that. Don't do that one. Don't take of this tree. And then the serpent, more cunning than all the animals, right? Of all creatures came up. Certainly you won't die. Going into children's church mode. Snake. Certainly you won't die. Did God truly say? Now, first of all, he's asking somebody who wasn't there because he's talking to Eve and she just got it through hearsay from her husband because she wasn't even there between the conversation. This happened before she was ever created. So everybody wants to pile it all on leave. She took the first bite, but Adam had the authority to stop it. Uh, There might be a message there for about men stepping up. But anyway, the reason why there is sin is because a man was out of position. 
You don't have to like it. It's just the truth. If he'd done what he was supposed to, God would have probably swept the whole thing underneath the rug. Said, well, since you did the right thing, we'll, 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 we'll figure this out. Because if he never would have taken the bite, the seed would have never been corrupted. So you got to understand, there's an egg and a seed, right? And if the seed's not corrupted, the egg can't be as corrupted. It's an authority thing. It's an authority thing. See, see, if I stay in order, it says, if, if the man, the head of the house, will step up, everyone in my house will be saved. That's what Scripture says. I read that. So what the promise of Abraham was... And if I can grab onto the Abraham covenant saying that everybody's blessed in my lineage. Everybody. Oh, come on now. That's better than what y'all are letting on. So in Genesis, the definition of sin is disobedience. In life, the definition of sin is the first one, not all the ones we make up. I'm going to let that rest. The definition of sin is disobedience. Period. Don't try to dress it up. Don't try to put a name on it. Don't try to say this is sin and this ain't sin. If you're disobeying God, you're there. And you're just like everybody else who's there, so quit trying to make your sin better than theirs. Okay, I'm moving on. Um, because of this word right here, read Romans 3, 21 through 26. Now, in Romans 3, 21 through 26, and I'm giving you the whole context of the verse there because context, again, is important. So, Acts and the letters to the Romans, if anybody needs to sing the song like I just did in my head. So, Acts and the letters to the Romans, okay? And we're at Romans 3, 21 and 26, and I'm hoping I can read this print in my son's Bible. Okay, now. But now, God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. As was promised in the writings of Moses. Okay, that's Torah. First five books of the Bible. And the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing faith in Jesus Christ. Come on. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who they are. For everyone has sinned. We all, say that word. Okay, now like you know what I'm talking about. All, we all fall short of God's glorious standards. Or as have, we've all memorized it as our cliche that we pulls out, right? For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. See, I want to try to get past cliches and I want to start preaching context. I want us to understand context. That way Christianity doesn't sound like it's cliche. We, we throw these verses out and we never tell people the context of what was being said or why. So we have this word, this powerful word, all. And the word in, in Greek is pas, and it means every, the whole, each, everyone. So when you read that, don't read it for somebody else saying, oh, bless their hearts, they need to get saved. For all have sinned. For Alan has sinned and falls short of God's glorious standard. Well, we need to get to that place where we realize that the word all literally means all. <laughs> not the chosen frozen. Not the ones that show up or don't show up. Because sometimes we're happy for the ones that don't show up either. I'm just going to be real. Not the ones who have it all right. Not all who are following all 613 commandments. 
Because tomorrow they're going to mess up and then they'll have to go right back through the whole thing. Do you know that there's a prayer called the Alchet that the Hebrews pray twice a day that literally goes through everything you could possibly sin with? Unintentional sins, intentional sins, sins while I sleep, sins while I dream, sins I do with malice, sins I don't do with malice, sins I do with intention, sins I do without intentionality. I mean, literally, it's like 60 different lines to this prayer that they pray so they make sure that they're okay with God. I don't want to jump through hoops for something that's already been done. See, I know we get in our fields, and we get down here, and we cry, and we snot, and we blurber, and our emotions go crazy, and we're crying about something that's already handled. Jesus loves sinners. He doesn't love the ones who think they've got it all together. He doesn't love the ones who know they don't have it all together. He loves all of them the same. It's literally that simple, that he loves us all the same. And once we catch that, once we feel that, once we know that, then we actually have freedom to do the things that he calls us to do. So back to this passage in Luke. Now, you got to catch this, right? To everybody else, he's not Lord of Lord, King of Kings, the great and coming mighty redeemer. He's just a country rabbi from Nazareth. How could they talk to Jesus this way? Because uh, they could. Because he was outside the establishment. He wasn't part of their thing. He was doing his thing. And whenever they come up to him and they're saying, look how he's doing it, they're not doing anything different than if you drove by and you saw Pastor Rife's car or my car or somebody else that you knew was a Christian's car at a place that you didn't think it needed to be and you jumped to conclusions. Thank you. And you jumped to conclusions before you asked what was going on. See, that's what grace and mercy looks like. <laughs> I know it's tough, man, and I know, why, I know why I'm up here, okay? Because this is the message that's in my heart. It's been burning in my heart for a long, long time. Man, if we don't love each other, if we don't love people, shut up. Because they can't hear the people who love them over your clanging cymbals. Man, I'm just... I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out, like, what to do with this call on my life. I'm miserable doing anything else. I'm fulfilled doing this and loving people. And whenever I think about what is right and balanced in my life, it seems like the easiest thing in the world for me to do is just love people without asking the questions that everybody loves to ask. You know, here, I'm going to give you these, this food, but uh, have you went and looked for a job this week? And do you, are you, what? Like, when you're mining gold, you throw out the rocks and you, to get to the gold. Like, stop looking at people's conditions. Stop looking at their choices. Stop looking at things that you don't understand and find the gold in them. And bring that back in. See, I, I read in this book one time about this cat that he was sitting on the side of, the, of the, this lake. And he's looking at these cats and they just got finished fishing. 
And he says, you know what? The kingdom of heaven is like a net that gets pulled out and brought in. And whenever they get brought in, the fishes are sorted. Well, yeah, that's the picture of heaven, the end times. And St. Peter standing at the white pearly gate saying, oh, you didn't make it. Sorry, dude, get out of here. Right? I mean, that's what we see. We miss the part about that we're the ones that drag the net, not sort the fishes. Drag the net. Don't sort the fish. Like, see, you're not called to be a fish sorter, okay? Let me tell you, I don't care what mama said. I don't care what your pastor said at the other place. You're not called to sort fish. You're also not called to sort goat and sheep. I'm just going to say it'd be fun sometimes because I could certainly sort them out sometimes. But don't sort out the goats and the sheep either. Because that's just as dangerous as the fish. Because see, what you'll do is you'll sort them and then you'll want to start cleaning them. And then you'll realize, you won't realize that that ain't a fish you clean. That's, a clean. that's the fish you need to throw away. And that ugly one that you thought had no purpose, that's the one you needed to clean. See, the problem is Samuel to Saul, somewhere around 1st, 2nd Samuel, maybe 1st Samuel 15, he looks at Saul and says... You idiot. Not really. But he says, you idiot. Don't you know God looks at the heart and not the outside of a man? Don't you understand that if you would have just obeyed? Oh, obeyed. Obedience. Uh, don't want nobody telling me what to do. I can. If you would just obeyed, your, your throne would have been established forever, forever, ever. But instead, you're ruined. See, we get so caught up on the outside, the label, the thing that we want to call somebody. You know, tall, good-looking white guy. Come on. I mean, okay, no, she calls me that. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is we get so caught up in our labels, we don't get caught up in the people who wear those labels. I mean, because somebody come in here, well, we already found out from the news and the Pritchard waterboard that we don't want to have to deal with Louis Vuitton and other things right now because there's a shortage in the area. It was all at her house. But anyway, <laughs> we worried about these labels and we sacrifice things. We worried about these labels and we make sacrifices. I mean, I can remember as a kid, man, Reeboks came out. Reeboks. And I had to have a pair of Reeboks. And we were on vacation in the Great Smoky Mountains. And we went to an outlet store. And I got my first pair of Reeboks. Boy, I jumped in there on the first day. <laughs> Reeboks! I was caught up in the label. This morning I went and bought a pair of Kicks just because I had dirty ones at the house. Different season. You feel what I'm saying? Different season. I didn't care what label it was. I just wanted them to be clean. See, what we need to worry is, y'all not feeling what I'm saying here. I couldn't wear dirty shoes up here. I had to go get some clean ones. See, I didn't worry about the label. I just worried that it was clean. See, I don't care what label you walked in here with. I can tell you, you can walk out of that door with a label of clean. Clean. And uh, 
I would love that. I would love that. So in this second passage, right, here, we're going to start talking about three types of sinners. So in this first passage, he says, there was once a shepherd who had a lamb. I'm going to paraphrase all this because I'm not going to read all that. But I gave you context, so if you need to fact check me, it's there. He says, there was a shepherd, and he had 99 sheep. And one of those went away. Now, if you had 99 sheep, which one of you would not go out, look for it, bring it back, put it up on your shoulders, that's an important part of that scripture, and go to your friends rejoicing, saying, there was a sheep that was lost, but now it's found. Let's have a party, y'all. Now, check this out. The first point that I'd like to make is the first kind of sinners are dumb sinners. Sheep are dumb. Now, what I want to tell you is, is there is a profound difference between dumb and stupid. I may be dumb, but I'm not stupid. You ever heard somebody say that? There's truth to it. Because dumb means I haven't learned it yet. Stupid means I choose to ignore it. See, I can be dumb about astrophysics because I've never studied it. I could study it and probably still be dumb about it. But what I'm saying is, is that if you've never given me the opportunity to learn it, I'm going to be dumb on it. But if you've given me the opportunity and I can't figure it out, I'm stupid with it. That thing, right? So here's this lamb, this sheep. He wanders out. There's 99 others. This is why he's dumb. The rest of the herd's going one way. Which way did that sheep go? You think it was a conscious choice by this little sheep to go down into the ravine? No. No. I'll help you all with the right answers. So, no. It wasn't a conscious choice of the sheep to go down into the ravine. Why? Because sheep are dumb. So, let's put this into our arena. Okay? So, dumb means showing a lack of intelligence or wisdom. And stupid is marked or marked by or resulting from unreasoned thinking. See, one is from lack of intelligence. One is from lack of thinking. Being dumb is lack of intelligence. Being stupid is lack of thinking. And when he found it, he lays it on his own shoulders rejoicing. Luke 15, 5. That's your pastor. That's your teacher. Young Christian. When you're all bent out of shape and twisted because the man of God's coming to you and say, hey, dude, you can't do this anymore. This is what's holding you down. I know it's only 30 minutes of whatever every day, but it's holding you down. Hey, man, dude, I know that you love going there. And it's not about the place. It's about what you do when you go there. You can't stay strong whenever you're around people who are weak. That's the reason why you don't need to be there in this season. Now, feel me. In this season. Because Jesus never found anybody and left them that way. The way he left them. He healed somebody, what did he say? And sin no more. Threw the woman down at his feet and the caught in adultery. Now he said, now baby girl, that's okay. They just don't understand how ruthless that man is and how ratchet he is. I understand why you were sleeping with that dude. It's fine. No, he said, whoever's got without sin, throw the first stone. Cliche, thank you, Kendall. She gave me that point. Because she said every message about this always has this, but it's so prevalent. It's so right on. Because Jesus stopped them from throwing their stones, but he didn't say, okay, I understand. You just go ahead and go back and hit it with that guy. No, he says, stop. 
Don't do it anymore. Do not sin anymore. If you want to be happy, stop what you are doing and do something new. Wait a second. Yeah. See, I can love you and tell you, hey, that's not smart. But I shouldn't be judging you. Like I can judge the action, I shouldn't judge the person. You, you feel what I'm saying? Like if you go bungee cord jumping without a bungee cord and I say, hey, stop, that's not smart. I'm not jumping in your business. I'm trying to save your life. Uh, but it was lost. It says, and a sheep was lost, but now it's found. In other words, the sheep did it. The shepherd went to look for it. So the, the sheep, through its own actions, not really realizing what it was doing, right, wandered off. Young Christian, man, you're, you're wandering off, you don't realize it. Person who's just come into relationship with Christ, that, you know, 30 years ago. You're, you're wandering off the path, you don't get it. Sorry, I didn't know that you had just not come to Christ, but you're still on milk, so we have to go there. Because if we don't ever get to the meat, if we don't ever get to that next place, if we don't ever stop struggling with sin, then we can't say we're maturing. At least the same sins. Because here's how it goes for me. The deeper I get into him, the more stuff I realize that I'm doing that I don't realize that he's not about. And he don't hold it against me until I realize it. You see what I'm saying? Which brings me to my next category of sinners. The drifting. Untethered things drift. The next passage talks about a lost coin. That this lady, she had coins. Ten coins. And each one was worth a day's wages. I think it was a Dharma or something like that. But it says that each one was worth a day's wages. She had ten of them. And one became lost. Okay, now, let's, let's personalize this for a second, okay? Think about your paycheck. That one that you go and work, however many hours a week you go and work, or that pension that you get because you work so many, okay? I'm trying to hit everybody. Or that allowance that your parents give you because you live in their house, okay? <laughs> and take it and divide it into ten. Now, that tenth that you already give to God is gone because that's his anyway. But imagine that one-tenth of your paycheck that you worked so hard for just gone. Not taxes. I mean somebody else stealing it. <laughs> but just believe that another tenth of it's gone. What would that do to your budget? Now, this is a woman which I know y'all don't may know this context, okay, but Jewish women didn't have it like our women have it now. She couldn't just go out to hubby and say, oh, dear, I lost one-tenth of my wages. Could you please give me another coin? Sure. <laughs> I mean, they were brutal. They, it, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that's the way it was. That's context. Sorry, context offends sometimes. And that's offensive, but that's the truth. That as a woman, she couldn't just go to her husband and say, I lost a tenth of my wages, can you fix it? No, he would, he would literally beat her. It'd be a big deal. It'd be a huge deal, especially in ancient Israel, where women were just a little bit above slaves. So there was a mistreatment. 
I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it's the way it was. But the story says a woman lost a coin that was equal to a day's wages. She had 10. She lost one. And she searched the house. She went nuts looking for that money. And then when she found it, she called all of her friends together and said, the coin that was lost has been found. Come and rejoice with me. Now, just going to fill y'all in. A coin is an inanimate object. It's like this clicker. And it has no will, has no intentions of its own. So if the coin was lost, who lost it? Like things that are untethered will drift. If you don't tie your boat up, it's going to drift on down out the, into the lake or out in the water. I mean, you don't even have to have a current, right? Because no one sees where the wind comes or where it goes, but we feel it whenever it blows, and so it can blow that straight off the... Sh so what I'm saying is, is if you don't tether something up, if you don't put it in a safe, if you don't put it in your coin purse, if you don't put it in your wallet, you're going to lose it. Right? Well, that's the way we are with sin sometimes. We're unintentional in it. We're drifting. So... She said, I lost. She took ownership of the fact that she lost it. So the first one was just dumb. Just drifting, you know, just a, just a sheep walking along. Not knowing any better, right? Dumb. But the second one's drifting. In other words, I really liked what I used to do. And I'm not, I'm not in sin, because it's over here, but I'm going to just kind of come over here and take a look and see what the old gang's doing. Whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, how'd I get over here? I mean, you know, I've been out of church, you know, six months. COVID. Just can't get back in the flow. COVID. Really like watching Fox News on Saturday mornings. COVID. Summer season's coming around. Beach. Boating. Excuses, excuses. Next thing you know, man, why does my marriage suck? Oh, we haven't been church six months. I wonder if that's got anything to do with it. Oh, we haven't prayed as a family or we haven't done anything as a family. We haven't went out. I'm real big about family. I love my family. Jesus loves families. He's all about it. And so... We see these problems. We don't understand how we get here. It's all unintentional. Nobody meant to end up where they're ending up. I mean, it's like driving in New Orleans at night. Nobody means to end up where you end up. But somehow you always end up in that part of town that nobody knows where you're at. Because you take that one turn off I-10. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You're trying to go to the Superdome. You wind up in the Ninth Ward. I'm telling you, it happens almost every time in New Orleans. And you don't mean to get there, but you think you know the way. I think I know the way. Man, I've been in New Orleans how many times? Are you, I don't need no, what? 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 I don't need no map of New Orleans, man. I know New Orleans. We wind up in the wrong place almost every time. And the last one, the decided sinner. Now, this last story, you're going to have to, we're going to read, and you're going to have to catch. And I'm going to go back, and we're going to catch a lot more, okay? But... This is the son, this is the story of the prodigal son. 
And I'm going to use this moment right now because God's provided me an opportunity to let you know I know what it feels like to be that dad in the story. And a year ago, I got to feel what you're going to hear later. But I had to take this opportunity to let you know I'm not talking out of something I don't know. I'm talking out of something I 100% know. So whenever you see the elation, you see the joy of the prodigal father rejoicing, no, that's real and that's not fake. It's not put on. It's 100% real. But I had to take this opportunity because God provided me one to let you know that whenever you see this joy on my face and you see this real, it's real. Because God's 100% been in control of my life for the past two years in a situation of prodigalism. And it has begun to resolve, and I'm rejoicing, and I'm declaring it every single day. That every day, man, we're going to kill that fatted calf. Okay, I jumped ahead, but I had to say that, okay? So jumping into the scripture now. Luke 15, starting in about verse 11. And he said there was a man who had two sons. Say two. And the younger of them said to his father, Yo, pops, give me my part of the property that falls to me because I want it. You know, he said, and divide the state between the two brothers, right? He says that to him, Like, I want my share. Now, this is the piece I want you to catch here because, again, I like to put things in context of ancient Israel and not 2022 Daphne and Robertsdale, Alabama, okay? In ancient Israel... This kid coming to his dad and saying, I want my inheritance, is saying, I can't wait for you to die. Give me my money. A stonable offense in the Jewish culture. Shows me two things. One, this kid knew his papa. <laughs> this kid knew his papa. He knew, man. He knew he could go to his daddy. And ask him for anything. And if his daddy could do it, it's going to happen. So he didn't fear death. <laughs> Man, this message about to become who's your daddy and not Jesus loves sinners if we don't watch out. Because, man, he didn't even have to fear death. Man, that sounds like somebody else's daddy who sent him on a mission. Said, don't fear death. I got this. Back to the word. And so, and not many days, 13 after that, the younger son gathered up all that he had and journeyed into a distant country, and there he wasted his fortune with reckless and loose living. And when he had spent all he had had, a mighty famine came upon that country, and he began to fall behind and in want. So he went and forced glued. This is what the Amplified says, okay? Forced. He glued himself to a citizen of that country. Please! No, I'm going to die. Alms. Alms. Like, I get the picture of the woman. With the issue of blood, that desperateness. Like whenever I say glued, like that's the way I picture her going after Jesus' garment. Like, oh. For my Old Testament fans, the way that Jacob held on to the angel before he said, I ain't letting go until you bless me. Glued. Glued himself to upon the citizens of that country who sent him to go feed hogs. We'll come back to that. 
And he would gladly have fed and filled his belly on the car pod pods, uh, the car rod pods that the hogs were eating, but could not satisfy his hunger and nobody gave him anything better. See, there's some things that can only be satisfied in your father's house. Sometimes you can eat and eat and eat, but we eat worthless stuff. You know, like uh, Metamucil is non-digestible fiber. Right? It's meant for one purpose. If you don't know, ask your mom or look it up. I'm not going to say it from the pulpit. But Metamucil is meant for one thing. Get things moving. Right? But it's waste. It's psyllium. It's literally the part of the wheat we throw away. It is. You ready for this? Whenever they beat the wheat and they separate the wheat from the chaff, it's the chaff. So waste makes you waste. How, what an epiphany, right? You eat waste and you become wasteful. And it works for its purpose. But what I'm saying here is, is he couldn't satisfy himself. In other words, he was filling himself up with nothing but just filling himself up. It's like in Haiti, okay? I was a missionary to Haiti. I'm not going to talk a lot about Haiti. But for my folks in Haiti who are watching, I love you so much and I miss you. And so in Haiti... They will make mud pies in some of the mountain villages because their kids are crying of hunger. Now, you need to feel this. This is real. And they make these mud pies because they have nothing else to give their kids to satisfy them. I'm talking about go outside like we used to at four and five years old making mud pies. Go out in the backyard, make a mud pie, bake it for your kid and tell them to eat it because at least something in their stomach will make their stomach think that they're being fed. That's real. Doesn't that break your heart? Then why do we do it? We have a hunger inside of us that only God can satisfy. That Jesus loves us so much that that hunger inside of us can only be satisfied with him. But we try to fill it with everything else and most of the time to make other people happy. We buy stuff we don't need to impress people we don't like. And anybody who knows where that reference comes from, there's only one rule to the club. We need to stop trying to impress people and impress God. Jesus is looking down at us and he loves us. He loves us so much. And, and this, this picture of this young man filling his body with these carop pods, man, it reminded me so much of those kids in Haiti who would just eat mud and dirt just to feel satisfied. And my question, one of my questions to you today is, is are you eating dirt so you'll feel satisfied? Like, I usually have a disclaimer about still toes in my messages. So if I do step on your toes, I'm sorry because I didn't give you that this, this week. But next time, we're still so choose because I do step on a lot of toes. And I don't mean to. It's just that message. See, because I have inside of me the fire of an evangelist. To go out and seek the ones who are lost and tell them, hey, look, you're not as lost as you think you are. Because everybody's lost. So let's just come and be family. Let's get to know Jesus. Let's love on him together, and then we'll figure out our sins as we reason together. Because it's not for me to show it to you. It's for Holy Spirit to show it to you. But that will drop a little bit heavier whenever you feel it. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me like one of your hired servants. He's like going to go back to his dad, and he's going to be like, look, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. He's making up this plan, right? 
Because remember, he, knew, he, knows, he knows his daddy. He knows his dad's a practical man. He knows his dad loves him and doesn't want him to die. He also knows what the culture's going to say. See, <laughs> I'm sorry, this is getting better to me as I preach it because I've already went through this in my head and I didn't think it was going to be as good as it is in the spirit right now, but it is. Because, see, I didn't have the daddy part whenever I jumped up on stage. The daddy part came through Holy Spirit as soon as I step on stage. Okay, so you need to really catch this, that he knew his daddy. See, he's there, but he ain't supposed to be. He's supposed to be dead. Dead to his daddy. Dead to the church. Dead to his family, his friends. He's not supposed to be mentioned. He's not supposed to be talked about. But let me tell you something. Whenever your kid's not with you, the only thing you can think about, the only thing you can talk about, the only thing you can dream about, fantasize about, and hope is that they're okay and that they're going to come home. Yeah. That's it. Oh, I don't, I don't care if you smell like pig crap. Come here. Let me love on you. And, and as so I'm jumping ahead and I'm not finishing the, ser- the sermons, the scripture, because this is real right here. Yeah. Like the pops, the pops is on the, he's on the, the porch. He's waiting, actively waiting. It doesn't say, and, and his pops just happened to be on the porch and saw him coming. No, it says, and his father was waiting anxiously for his return. And, and you know what this, because it says, and when he was a long ways off. Woo! If you ain't clapping, you ain't never been a long ways off. Because I've been a long ways off. And when Abba came running. Love's like a hurricane and I am a tree bending beneath the weight of your winds of mercy. And all of a sudden, it didn't matter that I was in a foreign country feeding them nasty pigs. I am unaware of these afflictions that I've been going through for God knows how long. By the glory of this moment with my papa. The glory of the moment with his papa. The glory of the moment with his papa. Because in that moment, he gave him ring. Saying, you're back in the house, bro. You're part of the fam. I'm reestablishing you in one move. You got my signet. Everything I can do, you can do. But I don't know. Shut up, son. Don't ruin the good thing here, boy. Let me put the robe on you. Because I know your righteousness ain't no good right now. But I got this robe of righteousness, man. Because you're not a slave. You've been working like a slave, but you're not a slave anymore. So get this robe on you. You feel this? And he says, put some shoes on my boy's feet. Because he'd been walking places he ain't supposed to be for far too long on his own. So whenever he said he went to reckless living, that's the King James polite way of saying, dude, he got turned. He went out, and everything he wanted to do, he did. 
Now, Scripture doesn't really tell us how long he was gone. Now, there is a Jewish tradition that, of another story that's just like this. And see, whenever Jesus tells a parable, this story's not being told for the first time. You need to feel that, okay? Parables were the way every rabbi taught. So here's Jesus, and he's telling this. So, so this is a parable that other rabbis have used and taught, okay? So Jesus has this new revelation on it, but in this uh, uh, book, I think it's called like Rabbi Separity or something like that. I can't pronounce it, but anyway, in, in this book I read about this story, and it talks about a king who had two sons. And it tells almost the identical story, right, without the twist. And here's the twist. They throw this party with a fatted calf, and this is the revelation I got so excited about last week whenever I was talking to you about this, Pastor Rife. Fatted calf, we don't know how long he was gone. Most um, scholars say that he could have been gone as little as 100 days, but more than likely he was gone multiple years. The reason why is because it was a distance land. Now, while there were non-practicing Jews in Israel that would have had pigs, they were so few and far between, they would have found the same kind of treatment that the son would have shown. So they probably wouldn't have seen a lot of wealth. You feel what I'm saying? So he had to go somewhere else because it was pigs. And Jews don't do pigs. They're not about the swine. And so he had to go somewhere else. So first of all, he's taking care of a cursed animal, doing cursed things for cursed people. And it says he comes to his senses. In my father's house, in my father's house, why am I sitting here living in all this squander? Because my stupid pride, the same reason why Adam hid. Because I was scared of him seeing me for who I really was, this big failure. But he goes back and he says, make me a hired servant. And his dad's like, man, stop all that noise. You're my boy. Like, you're my son. I'm not having any of that. Best robe, ring on your finger, sandals on your feet, and dude, we're going to throw a party. Now, I know that we have gotten all Americanized with this, okay? And if you haven't watched The Chosen, this is me right now saying go home, download that app, and watch that series, because you will fall in love with Jesus and the man of Jesus. Not, the, not, the, not, not Jesus the Messiah. You'll get to see Jesus the man. I'd never seen that before this series. I literally feel like I've gotten saved again watching that series. Because it's given me so much new revelation on Christ. And there's a scene where he turns the water to wine at a party. Now, I hate to tell y'all this, but Jews throw down and they have parties when you get married. Like, throw down, throw down parties that last like a week where the wine runs out and they just bring out more barrels of wine. Okay, this, this is like a, the Jewish version of a kegger. I'm not joking, for real. It doesn't say Jesus was getting lit with everybody, but he was there, and he did the miracle, right? See, they partied, they celebrated. It was part, it's part of their culture, like this deep-rooted celebration of life. Laheim, right? That's what they say every time. Laheim, Mazel Tov. Like, to life is what Laheim means. So they have this celebration of life. He's like, man, we're going to party. We're going to party like we'd never party before. Back, dude. Now, here's the thing. It was a fatted calf, which means it was prepared. So there's this father who had two sons. One name was Adam, and the other one's name was Jesus. 
And the son, Adam, said, you know what, Pops? I want my inheritance now, so I'm going to go eat off this tree. And Pops said, man, dude, we're separated now because we can't be back together. Start preparing the calf. See, you're the older brother, but now you're the calf. See, I always fancied myself in the story of the prodigal for the past few years as the dad. But then whenever I found myself in the need, I saw I was that son. Because every day I'm running back to that porch. As his depths grow in me and his revelation grows, I see I'm running back to that porch because I love him. I want to be in his house. You see what I'm saying? And so the father looks at the servants and says, go prepare the fatted calf. In my anointed imagination, the moment the son left, the father looked at one of the servants and said, you know what your job is, boy? You're going to prepare the fatted calf for his return. What are you talking about? He's going to be back, and whenever he is, we're going to party, and we need to be ready. Look, let me tell you, he's coming back. <laughs> this is a sidebar, but he's coming back, and he's going to party, and we need to be ready. But I, I, in my anointed imagination, I say, that father, knowing the son will be back, said, hey, you just go ahead and start preparing this calf, and he's going to be ready. Come in, sir. Um, the calf's now a bull. The son hasn't returned. What do you want us to do? Put it in the pasture. Go get another calf. Sir, the calf's now a bull. Prepare another calf. My son's going to be home. See, mama, daddy, granny, aunt, whoever you are that's praying, keep praying. Don't worry about if that bull has grown up. Don't worry about it. Get another calf. Start preparing. The party's coming. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Like, I, I know my own name. I'm telling you. The party's coming. The party's coming. And then the older brother, okay? <laughs> I couldn't get out of here without the older brother because there actually is a second type of decided sinner in this story. See, it's the one that never left. So let me make this as real as I can. Do me one favor and just pause just for one second. When that prodigal comes home, don't be that older brother saying, what are you doing here? Dude, you smell like pig crap. You've been doing cursed things. I know what you've been doing. What are you doing here? Old man never gave me a calf. Old man never did nothing for me. What are you doing here? See, I know how it went down. It wasn't just like, oh, he's back, yay. Older brother's ticked. He just watched his little brother go out and just blow half the fortune of the family. And he's like, what's going on? Jesus told another story about harvesters. And the 11th hour, the ones that came in the 11th hour got just as much as the ones that had been there all day. Same story. See, there's some other folks. I don't want you to get caught up in decided sin. Can you feel me for a second? Don't get caught up. Don't decide to sin whenever the prodigal comes home to worry about what they did while they were gone. Because you'll keep them from coming home with your stupidity. I'm going to say it again. You can keep 
people from knowing Jesus because you're being dumb or stupid. Because you've learned better, so you're stupid, not dumb. Stop opening your pie hole about things that you're not even supposed to be doing. Pull the net. Don't sort the fish. Jesus loves sinners. Okay, you you kick it back up now. Sorry, bud. Um, Because I know that's my closing music. Um, It's like the Oscars, right? All right. But here's the thing. So they came to Jesus, right? The son decided to leave the father's home. The older son decided to be twisted about his brother. We don't know if they ever got that resolved. We don't know. Older brother could have gotten just jacked up about it and stayed mad the rest of his life, or he could have came to his senses. We don't know because Jesus didn't tell us that part. I don't know what you're going to do when the prodigal comes. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to love him. I'm going to love him ridiculously. I'm going to love him over the top. Because, see, here's the reality. Jesus loves sinners. He loves black sinners. He loves white sinners. Red sinners, yellow sinners, like the song, you know, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight, right? He loves straight sinners and gay sinners. Ones who identify with their birth sex and ones who don't. He loves them too. He loves the ones that are in all that twisted stuff that's dirty that we don't ever want to look at. But he also loves all the ones who thinks they're not into all that and they're just as dirty. See, he loves sinners that sit in church every Sunday and the ones that never come. He loves sinners. See, I'm trying to get to you this reality about who Jesus is. Because, see, when Jesus was asked about what the greatest commandment is, he went into the Shema. Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Deuteronomy, uh, uh, I think it's 11, 15 through 17. And then Numbers 15, something, another through something. But it's this, this series of speeches by Moses that Jewish people recite. On the, on the daily, that says, Shema, listen. Shema means listen in Hebrew. Listen, remember I told you to hear with your eyes and see with your ears. Listen. In other words, pay attention. But he would say, Shema, or Israel. The Lord our God, Adonai. The Lord is one. And you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and every fiber of your being. And he says, and a new commandment I give you equally as important. Love your neighbors as yourself. See, we look at Jesus through the eyes of Americanized Christianity. And we need to look at him through the eyes of an ancient Israeli rabbi. When Jesus said to them, hey, Take of my body, this bread. Take of my blood, this wine. He was doing a Passover Seder. He was a rabbi. See, it's it's important for you to understand, Jesus was a rabbi teaching Jewish people Jewish things with the new spin of salvation and redemption. See, do you know that the word forgiveness from a people asking God is not even mentioned in the Bible until Exodus 34? You got all that stuff that happened in Genesis. All that stuff in Genesis. I mean, that twisted, weird stuff that happens in Genesis. Read it. Seriously, there's some messed up stuff that happens in Genesis. Nobody ever asked for forgiveness. 
Not till Exodus 34. And do you know what it was whenever they made the golden calf and Moses got mad? First time forgiveness is ever asked for by people. So he comes back to him with a Shema. Because this is something that everyone there would have known. See, you have to know this if you're a Jew. You have to know the Shema. It's not even like it's not even one of those things that you get to get by on. Like you have to say it multiple times a day. You have to be able to say the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, our Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, every fiber of your being. Then love your neighbor as yourself. Why would he say that? Because in John 3, there's this little passage. But I wanted you to understand who is saying what to whom. Because, again, context, context, context is important in Scripture. Now, let's all say it together because everybody in here probably knows this Scripture. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shouldn't perish but would have everlasting life, right? Now, here's the rest of the story. In John 3. See, that's Jesus, Messiah, Savior of the world, King of kings, Lord of lords, Emmanuel. Speaking to Nicodemus, teacher of all of Israel, rabbi of all the rabbis, teacher of Israel, high and esteemed bishop. And he's saying, dude, you got to be born again. This is where that whole thing about jumping into your mama's womb and coming back out is from. He's talking to Nicodemus like he is the illest of all the ill rabbis. Like, he is the one that you want to come preach at your church. He's the one that you want there. Like, he's the one that, like, I don't know. Whoever the superstar pastor is right now, besides Rife, that everybody wants preaching at his church, it's that guy. And they want him there. And he's saying, dude, you've come to me in the middle of the night, too, because he didn't want nobody knowing that the teacher of teachers was talking to this country rabbi from Nazareth. See, there's something about country wisdom, Right? He's sitting there, he's like, dude, I'm coming to you in the middle of the night. And he says, check this out. The most important scripture, I think, in in, in all of scripture isn't John 3.16. It's John 3.17. Because, see, it reads like this. God sent his son in the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. So read it in context, Jack. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but will have everlasting life because God sent him not into the world to condemn them but that they may be saved through him. God loves sinners so much that he sent them Jesus, our Savior. And God loves sinners so much that he's going to send his saints. See, I don't care what your issue is. I don't care if you're a drunk. I don't care if you're a stoner. I don't care if, if you're gay, if you're transgender. I don't care what your deal is. I don't care if you lie too much on your taxes. I don't care if you cheat your friends. I don't care if you're running around on your wife. Oh, let me get into the sins that everybody does. I don't care what you wear on net, what you what, what you watch on Netflix. I don't care about any of that because Jesus loves you. 
Jesus loves you. And he told me to love you. So guess what I'm going to do from this day forward? See, this is a new season message for me. It's the first time in three years I've preached. Y'all don't, y'all don't feel that heaviness on me, and I get it, but it's so heavy on me right now. Because this new season for me is about dragging the net. Just going to drag the net, Jesus. You sort them out. Bring everybody in. Everybody. I don't care. 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 All I want to do as a son of God is love you. Period. And my love looks different. Because whenever I love you, I don't let you do stupid things because you're a sheep. Because you, you only get the right to be dumb. You don't get to be stupid. If I see you drifting, I'm going to try to tie you to something. Because untethered things drift. But if you've decided to sin, baby, there ain't nothing I can do for you. Because the father didn't go looking for the son. The son came to his senses and came back. And that's when change happens. That's like when the cool stuff happens. That's the marriage supper feast of the lamb kind of stuff. That's the hangout party, get to know each other, have fellowship, be in love with each other in the right ways. That's good. And so um, in all of this, taking you all around these different places, just know that there's three different types of sinners that are out there. And Jesus loves them all. If you're dumb, he loves you. If you're drifting, he loves you. If you decided, he's waiting. He's waiting. And so the application for this is real easy. Everybody pull your phones back out. Look at that selfie that I made you take, for real. Don't just do it like, oh, I'm pretending like I'm looking at it. Like, look at your cell phone. Look at the picture you took. Go back to Genesis. Disobedience is, all right, anyway. Show love to a sinner this week. And start with the one you took a photo of at the beginning of the service. Love that person first. See, because here's, here's, here's what I've discovered about people who don't know how to love. They hate themselves. They got some kind of jacked up issue with themselves and they find all these faults in themselves because they know who they are whenever they go to sleep. And so... They can't forgive themselves, so they think Jesus can't forgive them, or their parents can't forgive them, so they don't think that Jesus can forgive them, or their friends can't forgive them, or society won't accept them, or da 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 da. Whatever. Man, Jesus came to a people who didn't want him to tell them a message they didn't want to hear at a time that nobody cared to hear it. And yet he still loved, 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 loved. That's the application. Love a sinner this week. Knowing that a sinner is not some evil, dark, nefarious person. It's me and you. And I ain't no sinner. I'm saved by grace. Bless God. Okay, great. Awesome. I didn't realize salvation made us perfect. I didn't realize that. I know we're being perfected according to the writings of Paul. But I didn't know it made us perfect. 
We're in that process. So daily, I'm drawing back and I'm trying to hit that bullseye. I'm drawing back every morning and hoping that I hit the bullseye with my wife. I'm drawing back every morning hoping I hit it with my daughters. Hoping I hit it with my son, my co-workers, the people that come in to work. See, because God wants the world to see Jesus in us. So I need to live a life, right, that shows the world Jesus. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to love them. Beloved, let us love one another because love is of God. And everyone who is born of God knows God, right? But the one who doesn't love doesn't know God because God doesn't love. God is love. I hope that y'all can receive this message this morning. He really loves you to this depth and this intensity that you have no imagination for. And I would say that if that is you, if that is, and I'm not going to do a call and all that stuff, but I want you to search your heart right now where you're sitting because I'm an evangelist, man. I got to do an evangelistic message. I got to tell you that if you don't know Jesus, you can. If you're out of relationship, you can be back in. If you're wearing a tag that other people are seeing and you still love Jesus, he still loves you. And he's okay with whatever tag you're wearing until you decide not to wear it. If you ever choose to take it off. But it's not my business. I'm just drawing the net. You feel what I'm saying? Jesus loves sinners. And I was one. And I am one sometimes. Intentionally. Unintentionally. Dumb and drifting. I hit every single one of those categories. And all of us do it sometimes. 